podcast, Rowan Williams, the Archbishop of Canterbury, explores the place of the religious life in the church in its new and traditional forms. This podcast was recorded at a gathering to promote the work of the Anglican Religious Communities Charitable Trust, set up to support new innovation of the religious life in mission and community in the Church of England and beyond. Thank you very much, David. And thank you very much, all of you, for coming. We're delighted to welcome you here at Lambeth. And I hope it'll be a really fruitful and imaginative kind of day. I've been asked to say a little bit about the religious life in the church. (laughs) One of those nice straightforward subjects that archbishops tend to get landed with on these occasions. (laughs) And maybe just a little bit about my own hopes for this specific project as well. And you'll see how those are connected in a moment. But I'll start by going back to something I've often returned to in my own mind and thought about a lot over the last 40 plus years, which is a statement about the religious life from the most unlikely source, and that's Karl Barth. You'd think that the greatest reformed theologian of the 20th century would actually not have very much time for monks and such like. But he does say in passing at one point, and it was a former monk of Nashton who pointed this out to me, Simon, so you might like to feel a certain amour proper about that. But, says, the religious life reminds us, if we need reminding, and we do, that being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not a calling that is exhausted by just being a good citizen or a member of a, a family and all the rest of it. There is something that is simply not accounted for in simply being a sterling member of society. And members of religious orders, who are, as you well know, anything but sterling members of society, are there to tell the church about that bit that is not exhausted in terms of discipleship. So, ideally, the religious life is a properly, evangelically unsettling element in the church. Not in the sense that it is constantly saying to the rest of us, you ought to be doing more, because that takes you straight back into the old two-tier model of Christian perfection. It simply says, how much are you identifying your discipleship with just having Christian opinions and doing vaguely Christian things? How much more is there to discover and grow into where you are, as you are? So that's, for a long time, been my starting point in thinking about this, and thinking, therefore, about the way in which the religious life is a necessary gift, and I do underline necessary gift, in the life of the church. God gives his church a number of ways to prevent the church settling down too quickly. The ordained ministry actually ought to be one of them, but that's another story. The religious life certainly is. The scriptures are. They're all about reminding us that we are still called to struggle to keep our ears open to a call of God that we have not yet done with. So a church that doesn't take it seriously seems to me a church that's always in danger of slipping back into taking itself for granted and rather underplaying how bizarre and demanding discipleship can be. 
and the history of those churches which have systematically tried to do without the religious life does rather bear that out in some ways. And it took um, a rather unusual enterprise in the religious life, now known as the Methodist movement, to wake up the 18th century Church of England a little bit from that habit of taking itself so much for granted that it was able to regard evangelical enthusiasm as, in the immortal words of Bishop Warburton, a horrid thing. <laughs> a necessary gift, and therefore a gift that the church as a whole has to take some responsibility for. One reason for welcoming this development initiative is that it's a way of drawing together people from different parts of the church to take that responsibility. Not simply so that there will be monks and nuns around, and therefore we look a little bit more picturesque, but so that the church may be healthy and self-critical and have the right kind of growing edge, the right kind of unsettling life within it. So it is the business of the whole church. And it's the business of the whole church, I would say, to look at the whole spectrum of what the religious life involves, which is why I'm glad to see that various new enterprises are being talked about, and glad to see that the question of the solitary life is firmly on the agenda in a way which is, to my mind, long overdue. More of that in a moment. To talk about the spectrum of the religious life is, I think, a reminder, a very important reminder, that what the religious life, even the monastic life in the narrower sense, looks like does vary from age to age. We're always a little bit prone, we, the church generally, a little bit prone to think, well, the religious life represents something unchanging. Church politics come and go, and reformations rise and fall, so to speak, but somewhere in the background there is this stable, rhythmical life going on, and that has something very true in it, because the consistency, the constancy, the fidelity of the religious life is one of those things that is most dramatically a call to the church. At the same time, the ways in which that has clothed itself over the years have changed, really, very radically. I've recently been involved in helping to make a documentary about Canterbury Cathedral. I'm sure I need to say to some of you, never make a documentary. <laughs> if you want 16-hour working days, including having to climb up the central tower of Canterbury Cathedral when you've not got a head for heights. <laughs> not good. But one of the things they wanted to talk about was the monastic life at Canterbury, the continuities and the discontinuities. But of course, when you start thinking about it, what life was like for Augustine and his companions in about 600 what life was like for the cathedral prior in about 1500, what life was like for the dean and chapter in 1800, and what life is like for the dean and chapter of the wider cathedral community in 2012. These are phenomenally different things. Something goes on, it's called the divine office actually, but in all sorts of ways, the expectations of community, the what you take for granted, shifts all the time. Religious life in the Church of England is, I think, still coming to terms with a rather curious history. The enormous evangelical impulse, I use the word evangelical advisedly, the enormous evangelical impulse which revived 
religious life in the Church of England in the 19th century, almost immediately allied itself with a great deal of what was taken for granted at the time about how religious life should look, feel, sound, and so forth. And we are still, to some extent, working off that legacy. Largely a 19th century French model, with all that that means, and not surprisingly, going with a very firm, committed desire to make the religious life visible in the Church of England. And the investment in form, the forms of the life, the habit, the visible buildings, the style of buildings, at times, and I was on Caldy Island in the summer, at times, somewhat megalomaniac attempt to reconstruct the fantasy Middle Ages. All of that I think we all know about from the inside. And we can regard it with a kind of affectionate exasperation at times. But we do need to try to disentangle that evangelical impulse from what it clothed itself in at the time and wake up to the, well, watershed character of our own era, where the religious life is not by any means dying across the world, but is finding a very wide range of new expressions, new forms. Now, I needn't tell you that, and when I say we need to wake up, I don't mean those who are in the business. I mean, again, the church at large, and the Church of England in particular. So my hope is that this will be really an opportunity to do some hate the word, but let's use it, strategic thinking about how we encourage, nourish, pass on wisdom, inspiration, the evangelical impulse, how we work for the health of the whole church. And just one more word about what I touched on a moment ago, which is the solitary life. I suppose it's really the last half century or so that's seen a turnaround in the attitude of the Western church is certainly to the solitary life in a way which has meant we take it seriously in a fashion which would have been almost unthinkable even in 1940, 1950 or thereabouts. And there are more and more people who seem to be discovering a call to solitude, discerned, monitored, supported by others in the church, often at a later stage of their adult life without going through the traditional patterns of formation in a religious community. In my experience of such people, they are often very much at a loss where to look for practical support and stumble from one not very satisfactory arrangement to another. And it would be a major step forward if we could think through what might be involved in the right kind of discernment and sifting of vocations of that kind that we corporately as a church believed worth fostering. But as for the rest, I look forward to hearing from you about the new things that are going on. As I say, I don't for a moment believe that religious life hasn't had its day. And I believe it hasn't had its day simply because of what I believe about the health of the church and what the health of the church requires. Right outside the traditional models of religious life, as we all know, the community pattern, pattern of people adopting seriously and long-term a rule of prayer, a style of life, 
in order to remind themselves of what discipleship really means. All of that is alive and well. Bishop Tim will remember conversations we had about CMS some years ago and how that has moved on. Similar conversations in the church army. The new monasticism spoken of on both sides of the Atlantic in the context of fresh expressions and emerging church, all of that goes on. And so does a great deal else, much less known about in terms of the solitary life. To celebrate, affirm and support that, I believe, is what we're here to discuss today. And I hope and pray very seriously that we'll come out of this discussion with a new energy about that support and nurture. So thank you very much and welcome once again. Thanks for listening to the Moot Community Podcast. If you'd like more information on who we are and what we do, please visit www.moot.uk.net. Thank you.